Meet your host and my next guest at this year's NRB 2018. Take a listen. The National Religious Broadcasters will hold its 75th annual convention, Proclaim 18, February 27th through March 2nd in Nashville, Tennessee. Vice President Mike Pence will speak at the February 27th Super Session. Network with thousands of Christian media professionals, ministry representatives, pastors, and business leaders. Hear speakers including Kay Arthur, Rick Warren, Greg Laurie, Eric Metaxas, Luis Palau, Joel Rosenberg, Jim Caviezel, MyPillow founder Mike Lindell, and dozens more. Gain valuable insights by attending one or more of the convention's six industry session tracks, where industry leaders will speak on digital media, radio, TV, church media, film and entertainment, and international ministry. Experience NRB's exposition featuring tools and services to expand and enhance your organization, church, or ministry. From media and fundraising experts to publishers and tech companies, the exposition has what you're looking for. If your passion is in media and ministry, then join us in Nashville, February 27th through March. Second for Proclaim 18. Visit nrbconvention.org. Hello, everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. With us today is former congressional candidate, nationally known speaker, historian, and best-selling author of over 20 books, some of which include Three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam and the United States, and Rise of the Tyrant. Chronicling America's Noble Heritage, William J. Federer. His daily radio and weekly television broadcasts, American Minute, and his Faith and History, respectively, give audiences nationwide the real truth behind some of America's most historic moments. And this, just for starters. And now, with his latest release in a trilogy of DVDs, Chronicling, quote, Miracles in American History, you, the listener, now have the opportunity to visualize 40 beautifully produced five-minute clips of history in the making and the miracles that made them happen. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome to Testimony, always an honor, William J. Federer. Bill, if I may, welcome back to Testimony. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you, as always. First of all, for those who may not know, you have a very powerful personal testimony that we have talked about in recent interviews. One of 15 children whose life was forever changed by his maker, Jesus Christ. That story at iTunes, Testimony with Jensine Bard, plus others. You're the author, as I alluded to earlier, of over 20 books, and Dr. Ben Carson has heralded your work, and I quote in part, extraordinary research to uncover documents revealing the true sentiments and beliefs of our founders, end quote. So Bill, let's get right to it in part one of our two-part conversation today. Would you give us an overview of the Miracles in American History, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and then let's talk about some of those miracles. Bill Federer, please tell us that story. Well, thank you so much. 
Well, I've done uh, research on world history, and from the beginning of recorded history around 3300 B.C., Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley, from the beginning of record-keeping, the most common form of government is a king. Nimrod, Tower of Babel, Gilgamesh, King of Uruk, Egyptian pharaohs, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, until the Hun, Genghis Khan. And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger and bigger and bigger. Clearly, there's a global goal in mind. But at the time of the founding of America, the most powerful king on the planet was the King of England. He controlled 13 million square miles, a half a billion people, all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, Canada, and America. And America's founders decided they didn't like this globalist king telling us what to do, appointing all the judges, and uh, basically the law was his will. It was a top-down form of government. Kings thought that they were divinely appointed by God, and they were superior to everyone else. Well, America's founders decided they didn't think that was the case. Uh, they um, created a government where the people are the king. So a republic is where the people are king, ruling through representatives. It's a bottom-up form of government. So we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic. Uh, we're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. So when somebody protests the flag, what they're saying is, I don't want to be the king anymore. I protest this system where I participate in ruling. <laughs> uh, and so we understand how unique our country is. Now, it didn't happen very easily, uh, and it wouldn't have happened without a lot of things just perfectly timing happening out. So uh, that's what I talk about in this book, Miracles in American History. And there are 32 stories from times in our country's past where there's a crisis. It looks absolutely hopeless, and God raises up little nobodies with faith and courage to turn things around. I have stories from the French and Indian War. Uh, George Washington actually fought for the British um, and uh, the Battle of Monongahela, where uh, there were 1,400 British troops. 900 of them were killed in an ambush with the French and the Indians. And Washington had two horses shot under him and uh, bullets through his coat, but he escaped unhurt. He gives credit to God for rescuing him. But after that, the British did control uh, virtually all of the North American continent, of course, other than Canada. And so I go into these different stories, and just a couple of them are worth noting in this brief period for this interview. Uh, one is the Battle of Brooklyn Heights. And so this is August of 1776. We just had declared our independence, and the New York Harbor fills up with the largest invasion force in world history. 400 British ships, 32,000 British troops, and the firepower of the cannons on these ships has never been assembled in one place before. I mean, just thunderous. And well, the Continental Congress, uh, just right before that, had passed a day of fasting and prayer. We earnestly recommend the 17th of May, 1776, to be observed as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And it ends through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, obtained pardon and forgiveness. Washington orders his troops to observe the day of fasting and prayer. He says, um, the Continental Congress, having ordered Friday the 17th to be observed as a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, and the general commands all officers and soldiers to attend divine services. Washington writes to his brother, his younger brother, John Augustine Washington, we expect a very bloody summer of it at New York. We are not either in men or arms prepared for it. If our cause is just, as I do most religiously believe it to be, the same providence which has appeared for us will still go on to afford us its aid. So here's Washington saying it looks really hopeless. We're fighting the most powerful 
military force on the planet, but he has faith. And so um, the word providence in 1828 Webster's Dictionary says the care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures by divine providence is understood God himself. So the situation was the British unloaded their troops far away from where the Americans were. The Americans were dug in facing the water, figuring that's where the British were going to attack from. But the loyalists showed the British where to land and march all night long through Jamaica Pass and attack Washington's troops from behind. They're at Brooklyn Heights, New York, on August 27th of 1776. 3,000 Americans died. It was a lo- only 300 British. And this was the largest battle in the entire Revolutionary War, and it was the entire American army. There was no second string that we could call in for help. Uh, Washington watches the 400 young men of the 1st Maryland Regiment charge directly into the British lines, uh, and they all end up dying. He says, good God, what brave fellows I have lost this day. Well, the sun goes down, and Washington is pinned up against the water with the British ships in the harbor and these troops coming down on him. And he probably thinks that the next day he's going to get hung by the British, but instead he gets every boat he can find, and he begins to ferry his troops across the East River to Manhattan Island. Horses and cannons and supplies and just frantically moving it all, and then the sun starts to come up, and he's only moved half of the army. He's really a sitting duck now, and his chief of intelligence, Major Ben Talmadge, writes, As the dawn of the next day approached, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. And when the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise off the river, and it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. And so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. We tarried until the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. Well, he continues to move the troops. He gets them all off, and then the fog lifts, the British charge, no one's there. And this was the last chance the British had to capture the entire American army all at once. And afterwards, Washington again, thanks God. He says, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in the course of the war that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. (laughs) Anyway, so that's a miracle in American history. Again, we're breaking away from the most powerful force. Another story, uh, the Battle of Saratoga. So now the British have New York, but the British wanted to land in Canada, march down the Hudson River Valley, and take uh, all of New York from the land side. So they'd sort of cut the country in half with the middle and the uh, New England colonies on one side and the southern colonies on the other. So they land in Canada. They're marching down British General Johnny Burgoyne, 6,000 troops. And what does he do? He makes a treaty with the Mohawk Indians and stirs them up to attack the Americans. And so these Indians would go out in front of British troops and terrorize the Americans and come back into the camp with all their scalps. And they would hoop and howl around the campfire with the scalps they got. And there were stories of 30 Americans going out at night to do reconnaissance. Only three came back because these Indians were so good at capturing them and scalping them. The story goes on. A loyalist, that's a person who lives in America, but they're loyal to the British, he's in a frontier New York settlement, and his name is David Jones. He's engaged to his fiancée, Jane McRae, and he kisses her goodbye and says he's going to go off and join this British General Johnny Burgoyne, and you can just imagine his words. 
we'll drive out those rebels and then we'll get married and have a nice life. Well, as they're getting close to his frontier settlement and he's anticipating seeing his fiancee, that night the Indians come in hooping and hollering, they have all their scalps and he recognizes one of these scalps is really nice, long, pretty hair. Yes, it was Jane McCray, his fiancee. The Indians couldn't tell who's a American and who's British, all sort of look the same to him. And so it causes an uproar in the British camp. And they meet with this General Johnny Burgoyne and says, what's up? Don't you know these Indians can't tell the difference? So Burgoyne meets with the Indians, tells them to tone it down. The Indians get offended and leave. And now Burgoyne is left without their help and he's surrounded and, and has to surrender. So 6,000 British troops surrender. The Battle of Saratoga, uh, the painting of it is on the U.S. Capitol wall in Washington, D.C. And uh, we have the first day of Thanksgiving to celebrate it. And the day of Thanksgiving ends through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ. What a miracle in American history. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to William J. Federer, author, historian, and radio host of the wildly popular American Minute radio broadcast and weekly television broadcast, His Faith in History. You can learn more about Mr. Federer's work, ministry, and mission by visiting AmericanMinute.com and get his latest DVD trilogy, Miracles in American History. You will be blessed you do. Bill, it is always a joy speaking with you. We look forward to hearing much, much more of the miracles next week. God bless you. God bless you. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.